Welcome to the Mind Virus Podcast. This is episode number one. I'm your co-host, Jordan Bruno, and with me, my good friend, Bobby Flood. Jordan. How's it going? This is, uh, this is an exciting day. Episode one, season one, everything one. This is it. This is the first. Hopefully, it's not the last. <laughs> yeah, with the way things are going, it could be the last. <laughs> but uh, no, this is exciting. Uh, all right. Well, welcome, listeners. We're excited to do this podcast. We've been thinking about it for a few months here. We, Bobby and I have some great discussions and we thought you might like to have a window into our minds and that, (laughs) that it would be some exciting discussion. The, uh, the name of the podcast mind virus is not necessarily just because of the coronavirus this year, right? This is a philosophical title that we've chosen because it seems so much of our modern culture is based on mass perception and the movement of, of masses, movements of lots of people, the, the, mind the influence, control. mind control of people. On a mass scale. Yeah, mind control on a mass scale. That's a good way to put it. And its effects on the total population and the body politic, the economy, the institutions of the world, education, et cetera, et cetera. So we thought that the calling this the mind virus podcast would be appropriate and perhaps we can start a counter virus that will spread to an antidote an antidote a vaccine a vaccine <laughs> vaccine is in the news a lot right now yeah oh by the way we should give us a, give us some context today is december 14th 2020 our uh, topic today is going to be year in review 2020 so we're going to kind of go through you know our top level thoughts about what's been happening in the world and have some good discussion. Hopefully along the way we can kind of give you guys some background of, of our, our thinking. And, uh, and, and I think, I think we both feel that 2020 is a culmination of maybe as, as much as a century of events and plans and schemes and, and uh, events that, that aren't accidents. 2020, it's a defining year in the history of the world, I think. And it, like you said, it is the culmination of a century of modernization, centralization, industrialization. A lot of azations have been going right. on. Immunizations. Let's start at what we can kind of consider as a beginning of all of this. You could probably go way back all the way to even the, the, the founding era, the founding fathers era. But I think, I think, Probably a good beginning would be maybe 1900 or 1900, you know, that what's known now as the progressive era and the, the, uh, kind of rise of what we call now the robber barons, right? The Rothschilds, the Rockefellers. Are we allowed to say those names? The Gettys, the Rothschilds and Colonel Sanders before he went teats up. (laughs) Oh, I hated the Colonel with his wee beady eyes. Right. That's uh, so I married an axe murderer. And of course, Mike Myers is way better at the accent. But uh, 
we've been trained to think that anytime you mention certain ideas or or people that it's a quote unquote conspiracy theory it's a crazy thing and we've completely bastardized the definition of two words there conspiracy and theory so now you can't have theories and you can't talk about two people or more two or more people working together in concert to achieve a certain end that may be nefarious to another group of people it's now crazy talk right <laughs> but that simply defines the history of the world in fact i would make the argument that you know how in physics they have a, a, a theory of everything, uh, 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 the unifying field theory or the unifying theory. There's a few different theories. They're not the exact same. But these are attempts to provide a, uh, an overall, all-encompassing theory about how the physical world works on a very small level all the way up to, to, to the macro level. And so they've got this unifying theory in physics and they, and they keep working on it and you know, it's unclear what the, you know, what the actual reality is. It's hard to tell from our standpoint what the actual reality is in the physical world. However, in the historic world, I believe it becomes incredibly clear. It becomes hit, uh, knock you over the head with a two by four clear that the unifying theory for history is conspiracy theory. If you really want to understand what has happened in the world since the beginning of time, you need to come to grips with the fact that there are always two or more people working in concert <laughs> with nefarious goals attempting to take over. That's just a fact. And if you can't, if you, if, if you call everybody that says that crazy, you will never understand what actually happened. You won't even approach it. The Constitutional Convention was a conspiracy. Against who? The British. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and what's, what's crazy is when they, when they met the, for the Constitution, they met in secret. They shut the doors. The, the Continental Congress that came up with the Declaration of Independence, that's a clear conspiracy against the British. But then th these guys had won their independence and it came time to create a government. And, it, and the people were so fiercely independent at that point in time, they literally had to meet in secret in Philadelphia for the, to, to, to try to form the Constitution. And now the Constitution itself is a conspiracy theory. Right. People who... <laughs> People who still quote from the Constitution often have their eyes, you know, people roll their eyes at those constitutionalists. Right. Let's do a quick overview of what I kind of call the foundational conspiracy. Some people call it, uh, some people refer to it as the cabal, the Illuminati, the insiders, the occultists, the mm -hmm. oligarchy. It has a lot of names. I don't think it really matters what you call it. Other than that, there's a there is a group of people who, who may or may not be working together. I think you've mentioned, and I agree, mm -hmm. that there's probably a lot of infighting mm -hmm. and power brokering in that group, within that group. Before we do the breakdown on the, you know, what we think some of the details are about this group, this cabal, this oligarchy, let me, let me just pause and say this, because I want to just kind of give this some context sure. for why, why we're here. Let me tell you why you're here. <laughs> You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it like a splinter in your mind. Right, okay, I'm paraphrasing one of the great mentors of all time, Morpheus from the, the movie The Matrix, and I'm guessing that 99.99% .99 of the people who are listening to this podcast already knew that. <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, I used to hate the movie The Matrix before I had really changed my mind about how the world works 
I thought, oh, these Matrix guys, they're crazy, and you can't just bring up the movie The Matrix. It's silly, you know? But the point is, let's talk about why we're here. And many people, 2020 is a year, I think, where many, many people are actually really coming to grips with and waking up to the fact that this conspiracy or this oligarchy, this cabal, this sub subsurface movement that's just moving us in a certain direction, that it's actually a real thing and has an actual agenda and it has actual uh, tentacles that are, that are moving things almost inexorably in a certain direction. And so my point is that the big, the big story of 2020 is not coronavirus. It is essentially, in a way, censorship. And you mentioned earlier, centralization or we might say uh solidification of control of these forces that seem to be movies moving us in a direction that seems silly in a way i mean when you and when we when we talk about coronavirus we're going to talk about how many people have actually died you know compared to what they said were the the numbers of people that were going to die and this idea that you know we need to wear masks but before that, they said, don't wear a mask, <laughs> you know, and, oh, don't gather unless you're protesting against the white male demographic, you know? Right. Otherwise, you're uh, a super spreader. Yeah. If, if, you're, if you're getting together in groups to protest racism, then you're not spreading. But if you get together to protest all the people that built this society, then by all means, get together and let's protest. Let's burn things down. Let's knock down the statues. So, so we've had this uh, sort of schizophrenic message coming out of an institution that, that most people seem to have at least trusted for the most part for the last century. And that institution is the news media, right? Mm-hmm. They have unmasked themselves, pun intended, as the propaganda arm of a corporatocracy, an oligarchy. And so that's where we step off and say, okay, it seems pretty clear that something doesn't connect. These people are not actually putting out information that is in my interest. They seem to be intent. They they have an agenda. Unless you're a hardcore leftist, which I don't think we're going to have a lot of hardcore leftists listening to to our program objectively. I think they'd be listening to try and find out where we live to come crucify us, as seems to be their practice. Right, but unless you're one of those types, you've probably been watching the the general flow of events, which we get out of media from a variety of sources now, especially on the internet. It used to be in the '50s, you had four news channels, right? ABC, NBC, CBS, and uh, did they have PBS at that time? I, was that more of a, a '70s? I don't know. I can't remember the history of PBS, but w- but w- one thing we we recognize as we start to go down this rabbit hole, so to speak, or take this red pill, it is that America has been very tightly controlled in the last century, and it's the advent of the internet that has brought us to this point, in a way. PBS was founded on November November 3rd, 1969, according to the internet. Okay. <laughs> Which, half of the internet is fake, but let's talk about that later. <laughs> right? Coming from a search engine marketing background, I can tell you very much of the internet is fake. So, uh, so anyway, uh, I've I, I kind of cut you off there, but you were you were on a roll talking about the idea that there's this that, that there are the, we can go back to and identify the beginnings of this force that took over our 
In the U.S. In the United States. Well, and in the world. Because but... it happened in Europe before it happened in the U.S. By the same people. The same people orchestrated the central banking system. Okay, yeah. So tell me about Europe. that. Let's let's go. Let's. So we're going to go all the way back. The, these people that now are try, attempting to control the mind via control of the information. They started somewhere. Give us give us a brief history. I think it starts with the Rothschilds. We can say that name without being censored. I hope. Well, we're, we're going to say the name Rothschild. We're going to say the name Rockefeller. We're going to say Andrew Weishaupt. We're going to say. Um, all, all the things, and you, you, the listeners, get to recognize that we're not married to any any of this information as if it were God's honest truth. We th- it's the best information we have. I, at least me personally, Bobby, you can disagree if you want, but uh, I, I hope that it comes across that my philosophy is one of metanoia, metanoia being the, the Greek word used in the New Testament for the, the word repentance. Mm-hmm. Metanoia got translated into the Latin Vulgate as uh, re poenitentia, and re poenitentia literally means redo the process of punishing yourself. And that's where we get the word penance, you know, do 10 Hail Marys. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. sinned. It's been 187 days since my last confession. Okay, you know, it's, you're a bad person. The, if, if we roll the clock back past all the Protestant... Catholic orthodoxy stuff. And it's not that everybody was bad, but we got some bad ideas after things changed in the second and third centuries AD after Christ. Metanoia literally means meta, change or modify, expand, and noia, your minds, your thoughts, your heart mind. And so I'm willing to change my mind. But in light of the totality of the circumstances here, it appears that the modern movement the the modern force that has exerted the most control in the world started with the Rothschild family and they were in Bavaria right or right. or what's modern day Germany in the 1800s right the mid to early 1800s right and what they did was they had they had family a, a series of family banks throughout Europe France had one um, Germany had one I think it was the early 1800s. Right. And so you very briefly, okay, very briefly, they would use these banks to finance both sides of wars in Europe. So they would find they would create the conflict. They would finance both sides and and through that financing they could decide who would win the war. And they would decide who would win the war based on what uh, objectives they were trying to achieve. Right. Okay. So you've got, you've got Nathan Mayer Rothschild, which is 1777 was when, he, when he's born, right? So right about the t- it's interesting, right about the time that the Americans got their independence, mm-hmm. you have this banking family emerge in Europe. Right. And a lot of it centers on the, the Battle of Waterloo, interestingly. But uh, as you're, you're explaining, the idea is that you can use money to control the world. And there's a famous quote that's circulating on the internet that uh, is attributed to Nathan Rothschild, which is, I I care not who makes the laws as long as I can print the money or something to that effect, right? Right, right. Because you can control via the issuance of money. But if you're going to do that, you can't just lend money to one king. You have to lend it to both kings because when the bill, when the the loan comes due, it's off with your head unless you can distract them with somebody else. So how do they protect themselves from off with your head? is to make sure you're also financing the king's enemies. And so that there's always this tension, there's always a threat, and there's always, with the snap of a finger, there can be war. Yeah, you remind me of that episode in, that scene in 1984, where the supreme leader is up, they're doing their rally, 
and he is he stops the rally and somebody hands him a paper and all of a sudden the enemy changes immediately from uh eurasia to east asia or something like that right <laughs> and it's like we've always been at war with east asia and immediately the crowd changes their tune and only you know our hero winston looks around and says does nobody else notice what just happened right we've had a lot of those moments here in 2020 in which we can get to but yeah so the, the rothschilds established this banking network we'll call it a network with names like the bank of france but of course it wasn't the bank of france it was a private bank. It was a private bank. That was in Europe. It wasn't until, well, it was immediately after the founding of the United States that a central bank was, was established or tried to be established. And Andrew Jackson famously abolished the Bank of the United States. Right. Hamilton was the guy that was in favor of a, of a right. national mo monopoly on the banking uh, industry. The story goes that Andrew Jackson's on his deathbed and he says, at least I defeated the bank. Right. right. Well... It was temporary, as all, as, as all victories uh, for liberty are. Right, and, and before you get there, let's back up a little bit. So, so Rothschild didn't start out with preeminence. They, try, they, over time, in the 1800s, established this network of banks. And uh, I just want to point out that the key inflection point was the Battle of Waterloo, which was, let's see, I think it was 1815-ish. Yeah. And the story goes like this. It's a legend, right? Because, see, the Bank of England was a thing, and other people owned parts of it, not just the Rothschilds. And so they weren't necessarily just starting banks and, and starting from scratch. They were by, by hook or by crook, by subterfuge, by any way possible, gaining as much control over the issuance of money through the channels that existed at the time. And so the story goes like this, that Rothschilds at that point had a lot of influence on the continent. But remember, the British Empire... The sun never set on the British Empire at that point. And the East India Company, you know, the 1600s, 1700s was a great time for the British. They were, with their seafaring enterprises, had, had accomplished great influence across the globe. And so somebody needed to take control of the issuance of money through the Bank of England. And, and that was going to be a massive coup for whoever, whoever could do that. Well, anyway, Napoleon's running amok in in Europe, on the continent, and the British ended up defeating him at Waterloo. Well, the Rothschilds had scouts, of course, there to see what the outcome would be, as I'm sure other people did. And the legend goes like this, that, of course, that event was going to be super influential, so the minute the outcome of the battle was clear, the riders took off in all directions, and the, the scouts for the Rothschilds were the fastest, and they got back to England, and there, uh, w when the market was open, there was an episode that had been pre-planned, of course, where the scout runs in, whispers something to the Rothschild agent there, and the Rothschild agent immediately begins selling all of his British stocks and bonds as if the British had lost, right? Right. Meanwhile, on the other side, they have their secret agents buying up for pennies on the dollar all the, the stock in the Bank of England because they had created a panic— and caused everybody to sell. And so through legal but very nefarious means, the Rothschilds took control of the Bank of England. And then the slide continues and the, and the acceleration intensifies for this, this group. But we, but we can pretty much only identify with the Rothschilds. There's, 
there's a sidetrack here that we want to mention. We want to mention Adam Weishaupt and the Bavarian Illuminati because mm-hmm. they formed sort of a secretive group around 1776-ish, interestingly enough. And that's the name he gave the group. Right. That's not a name that people in basements like we are right now, <laughs> ironically, gave it. That was what he called it. And you, and you can, of course, do whatever research you want on the internet, and it may or may not be true, but this is the best information we have. We, uh, Bobby and I haven't just pulled this out of our hats. We spent the last 10 years trying to figure out what the hell is going on, you know? And so y- y- you don't have to trust us, but this, this is supportable, and it's debatable. And, of course, the public schools don't talk about it for a specific reason. Is that perhaps because the Rockefeller influence in the with the tax exempt foundations on education has been so great i don't know where did the rockefellers get their money to create their massive empire did it come from the banking establishment did someone lend it to them or did they just somehow through hard work and savings come up with it this is this is the question it 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 it, 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 it comes down to leverage and it comes down to who's willing to give you that leverage it is interesting though you mentioned the rothschild created panic that's been a pattern for for them and for the group of Mm -hmm. people, they create these panics and they've done that, these financial panics. They've done that over and over and over. Most recently in March, 2020, when the stock market had the worst single day plummet in its history. Right. And and why is that? Why why is it that they would create panic? Let's, let's quote another, sorry, I keep, I keep jumping in and sidetracking you, but, but uh, why is it that they create panic? It's because they know another truth that we get out of movies and books, which is this. Fear is the mind killer. It's the little death that brings total oblivion, (laughs) right? It destroys the mind. Okay, so back to the United States and the central banking influence in the United States. Right. Right off the bat with Hamilton, as you mentioned, Andrew Jackson killed the Bank of the United States. Right, didn't have like two two 10-year charters or or a 20-year charter or something like that? We could look it up. He kind of considered that his crowning achievement. And there's a story that the agent of the bank tried to assassinate him and uh, his two flintlock pistols both misfire and Jackson survives and, right. and he's this man's man. He's the hero and nobody likes him. Of course, he killed a lot of Indians, but... Right, right. Not necessarily... Whatever you believe about moral. Jackson, for him, killing the central bank was a big deal. And I think he understood that central banking was detrimental, detrimental to to the cause of liberty. It was, it was a bad financial uh, uh, institution. No, right. no good comes from central banking. Right. No uh, good comes from any centralization. And when we, when we say central banking, we mean monopoly banking. Monopoly. monopoly banking. Let's call it for what it is. And, and let me make a quick aside. This is an, a thing that I'll argue uh, or bring up, try to point out as, along the way as we podcast. And that is that I think the American experiment was successful, not just because of the principles, because we know the principles of liberty that were espoused by the founding fathers were mm-hmm. exceptionally important. But those can exist in very controlled societies and never make it to the top, and people won't, uh, won't accept them, partially because of the physical control, but also partially because of the mind control, right? Well, I argue that the American experiment was successful because of its lack of proximity to the tyranny, to the central control. And so I think that's a big deal. We, we've got to recognize a lot of people when they go down this rabbit hole of the unifying theory of history or AKA conspiracy theory, mm-hmm. uh, when, they, when they go down here, they start to think, oh, you know what? The founders were Masons and they were 
these esotericists or deists. They weren't quite they weren't quite Christian the way I want them to be. I mean, Thomas Jefferson said this or whatever, you know, and they they start to think, okay, well, it looks like the whole thing's a big conspiracy. I disagree. I think you've got to really put yourself back in the context of where they lived. They were landowners. They were wealthy. A lot of them. They were they were taking a huge risk. They, I mean, look at us. We we risk very little in our modern lives. I mean, I don't I don't have anything even approaching the wealth of a Jefferson or a Washington. Right. And I'm hesitant to go out on a limb to, to, to pledge my life and my sacred honor. You know, I, do I even have a sacred honor? <laughs> you know, right. do I have anything to pledge or to give? These men laid it all on the line and they had a lot to lose and they were incredible. And they, and they had incredible aspirations for a positive free society that changed dramatically by the 1860s, the, there was a, a movement in America to consolidate power in a national government. One, uh, and you're going to get back to the banking stuff, but I think one of the greatest lies ever told in American history was the Gettysburg Address. When Lincoln says, four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth on this continent a new nation. A new nation? No, they brought forth 13 free and independent nations because in 1776, that was the definition of a state. That's why we call them states. Everywhere else in the world, the word state means nation, right. nation state. Right. But here in America, it's a, essentially an administrative apparatus for a federal government. Which is why the South felt justified in secession, because they, were, they, they decided they did not want that to happen. They did not want that centralization to happen. They didn't want to be a part of that union. Right. Which, how, how many states does it take to make a union? Two. Okay. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> so, the Civil War. We, we shouldn't call it the Civil War. Every time you call it the Civil War, I'm going to correct you. But the I'll, war I'll between try to, the states. It's the war between the states. That's why they call it the war between the states or the war of northern aggression. Right. <laughs> depending on your <laughs> Depending on really where you come from. But it's more appropriately called the, the war between the states because a civil war is a war inside of a state, right. technically. Right. So if we're going to be really technical about it, we got to call it the war between the states. But I'll make that mistake all the time. So I'm happy to be the one to correct you. Well, and we <laughs> and we often just just dismiss it as uh, fighting over the slave over slavery, whether slavery should be should be legal or not. And right. that was part of it, but it was not the whole story. Very small part of it, actually. Of course, a lot of it had to do with what most wars are fought over, and that's money, mm-hmm. e- economy, right. But we digress yet again. There's going to be, you're going to find that we have a series of uh, digression after digression. It's like a network of rabbit holes. <laughs> like, a, I think they call that a warren, don't they? That's, that's the underground maze of uh, rabbit holes. I'll take your word for it on that okay. one. So let, let's fast forward a little bit to, and I hope the listeners don't fast forward. But let's, <laughs> so central banking came to the United States in earnest in 1913 correct? Or thereabouts? The Federal Reserve Act was passed, passed in 1913. Leading up to the Federal Reserve Act, we have what is can only be called a conspiracy. Right. A group of men met in secret on Jekyll Island off the coast of Georgia and created, uh, created this, uh, well, they didn't create anything. They took ideas that had already been implemented in Europe and tried in the United States. And they were agents of a larger power. They were, they were agents of 
Rockefeller family, Rothschild, J.P. Morgan. The robber barons, Carnegie. Carnegie. Yeah. Yeah, what history calls the robber barons. And they uh, they also had uh, politicians were involved. There was senators there. They conceived of, of a plan, uh, a program that would allow them to gain control or a monopoly control over the issuance of money in the United States of America. And they proposed two different pieces of legislation that were almost, they weren't identical, but they achieved identically the same ends. And they called one the Federal Reserve Act proposed by the Democrats. And they called the other the Aldrich Plan proposed by Senator Aldrich, who was a Republican. And why, why were they doing this? What was the, why, uh, okay, so I got to back up. What was their catalyst? What was the panic that they created that was going to make the public feel the need for a central bank? Because up until that, after Andrew killed the bank, we didn't have a bank. And, and the issue reared its ugly head again at the Civil War because Lincoln needed to finance the war the... between the states. Thank you. <laughs> it reared its ugly head at the war between the states because Lincoln needed to finance the war and the bankers, foreign bankers, wanted to finance that for him. But he decided to issue the Lincoln greenbacks. And that was successful because the government basically said, hey, we're going to issue this currency and you can use this currency in the issuance of interact er, 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 to to settle debts relative to the government. The government had a lot of debts and a lot of commerce because they were buying and selling materiel for the war, right? And it's com it conspicuously absent from the history books that the, the latter half of the 1800s, the main issue, and you can find political cartoons about this, the main issue was, are we going to allow the money trust to gain control over the issuance of our currency? And that's the term, the money trust. Mm -hmm. Why do they call it a trust? Because a trust is another word for monopoly. Right. Right. So, so therefore, you get, you get to Jekyll Island, and they're, they're meeting in secret. They, they were very careful about it, right? Where do, where do you get all this information? Well, there's, there's uh, two really good, two really good um, books that you can go to to find out about this. One of them is a pretty easy read um, called None Dare Call It a Conspiracy, written in 1971 by Gary Allen. And another one, which is a, is a thicker fifteen dollars on Amazon. <clears throat> in fact, or probably less. It's the the Kindle version of None Dare Call It a Conspiracy. You can read for free if you have a Prime account. Oh, okay. While we're not in any way affiliated with Amazon, just wanted to put that out there. In the future, we will be. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> because everyone will be affiliated with Amazon, whether they want to or not. <laughs> and then, and then, of course. Um, kind of the kind of the uh, gold standard for the creation of the Federal Reserve if you're looking for information about that is um, the creature from Jekyll Island by uh, Griffin so anyway we're back sorry I've, I've sidetracked you now we're, we got to go back to Jekyll Island keep going well again this was just supposed to be a quick overview right we're we're 40 minutes in we well, haven't even talked about 2020. Year in review okay. 2020 matters. This matters to year in review 2020 so much. <laughs> it does. Because we're seeing, a, I believe, a beginning of the culmination of these events. Right. In 2020. Right. The, pro the progressive era. The world has shrunk. The, the modes of communication, industrialization, all that's happening. P find, find one of those, those movies that, where they try to take you right back, like Iron Giant or... Sky Captain, World of Tomorrow, you know, where they've got those really cool stylized, the Rocketeer, right? There's, there's tons of movies about that period of time 
in America. And you can, you can go back to those and they always have this great sense of adventure and, um, excitement and discovery. I, that's what I love about those movies about the, the early 1900s. These men, they went to Jekyll Island. They created, basically they wrote what is the Federal Reserve Act. Right. And of course it was all done to protect the American people. It's always done. All of these sorts of things are done for our protection. Right. right? Think of the children. And think, the, think of the, how many freedoms you've lost because of your children. <laughs> this, was to, this was to protect us from, from financial collapse, from from uh, bad banks because you know there had been a series of when you when we didn't have a central bank well anybody could basically create a bank some of those banks failed yeah and the and the big bank that failed was called the panic of 1908 where the 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 knickerbocker bank of new york was collapsed via nefarious activity from jp morgan and he created the problem and then he yeah then he turned around and, and sold everybody the solution. Right. We, we create you the problem, and then we give you our solution. So the Federal Reserve was created and signed, uh, created, signed, the act was signed, ratified by President Wilson, Woodrow Wilson, in 1913. And what, what does that do? Does it create a national bank? No. Okay, what is it then? No. Is it, see, is it a federal entity? Let's talk about the name. Previous, there was a lot of public pushback to the idea of central banking. Th- that term was a toxic right. term. Just no. go look for the political cartoons about the money trust. They hated right. that, this idea. So they created the same idea. They just gave it a new name. Something benign. Something like the CARES Act. It cares for you. <laughs> right. Or, or the Patriot Act. Or the, uh, what did they call the Obamacare? The Affordable Care Act. <laughs> right. Affordable Care Act. The Patriot Act. It's for Patriot. Right. The Affordable Care Act. It's going to double, triple, and quadruple your, the cost of your health insurance. So they created, they created something called the Federal Reserve, which the word federal, especially in, in, our, in our vocabulary today, means government, right? It means Not government. Not any government, but the national the government. national government. Reserve, it doesn't even mean federation. Reserve, it doesn't have anything to do with the federation of states anymore. It's a fe- it right. means the, the overall controlling government. Right. Yeah. Reserve, that means there's a whole bunch of money there reserved for us. Right. It's a bank. It's a, it's a national bank. No, it's not. It's privately owned. It always has been privately owned. And all the member banks are privately owned. It's sort of like a little feudal system. They also have monopoly power to print money. They also have power to determine interest rates, which basically is turning a dial up or down on the value of our currency. Right. And that's how the money is issued into the into the uh the economy well let's not get into that right now it's a very it's not really super complicated but it's it's just complicated enough that you think oh they're not just printing money but when we hear when we talk about the national debt right which is now into the trillions where who is that debt owed to well in many cases in, in, in a large portion it's to the federal reserve for example 2020 saw a gigantic bailout or 20, sti- 27 stimulus. trillion 20, 27 trillion bobby we're up to 27 trillion not just into the trillions we're we're on our way to 100 trillion and i think it's it's doubled in the last 10 years is that right oh yeah go go if listeners if you haven't ever seen this this is sort of mind-boggling go to usdebtclock.org and you can watch the counter just worrying if if this were like a if this were like a mechanical counter it would run the bearings out in the next 5 minutes this sucker is moving fast so what does that debt mean it means that 
every second of the day, our money is worth less. Not worthless or close to that, but worth less. Yeah, when you say it's worthless or worth less, <laughs> it's pretty close, right? <laughs> Compared to what it was 100 years ago. 100, I, think, I think our dollar today is worth one cent of what it was uh, before the central bank, before the Federal Reserve. Right, and you can't buy, you couldn't buy flat panel televisions back then, but we're talking about the basket of goods, you know, eggs, milk, whatever. If you really needed to survive, if you wanted to buy farmland in Pennsylvania or something, you're not buying it for 500 bucks. The government owes $27 trillion. Well, who do they owe it to? Well, the Federal Reserve and other central banks that are located internationally, including Europe, China, China. China is a big, big uh, Even Russia. loaner. Russia. But they divested a lot of their holdings in the last couple of years. And so this goes back to the very basics. When you finance kings, you have to finance all of the kings yeah. to make sure that you don't go collect the bill and instead just get off with your head. Off with your head. Yeah. Who are the people who the government actually owes money to? Because it's not the, to the, necessarily to the government of China or to the government of the United States. They're not borrowing against themselves. Are there actual people? Yeah. Like your, your parents probably own treasury bonds. Right. Uh, well, th that's one way to do it, right? Through right. the American people. Yeah. Treasury bonds, saving bonds, mm -hmm. government bonds. Yeah. Is that the only way? No. Is it, that's not even the majority anymore, right? No. Uh -uh. The, the Federal Reserve is buying most of it right now. Right. In fact. Uh, and who are they? Exactly. A privately owned bank. <laughs> in 2020. Don't know. It's like in, it's like in, sorry, sorry to sidetrack you, but I love the movies because the movies give us so much truth, so much truth mixed with error, right? Mingled with error. And that's something that we're going to refer to a lot to pop culture. In fact, going forward, we may even base entire episodes on a movie or a book or yeah. something like that. But it reminds me of Batman Begins when um, Bruce Wayne's nemesis, I can't remember his name. He says, Oh, shell corporations. Oh, yeah, he's like he's he's trying to figure out how they got control of his company, and he's like, "Oh, it's complicated. <laughs> There's a bunch of shell corporations and other entities." And I can't remember the exact the exact quote, but then Bruce Wayne has to go back and buy all the stock back up through a bunch of complicated means, obfuscated obfuscated channels. So, if you've got an army of lawyers and accountants that work for you, this is easy stuff. And and there's the famous quote by. Um, Rockefeller, the one that was uh, made vice president to General General uh, Gerald Ford <laughs> when um, Nixon resigned mm -hmm. uh, in the hearings, they they were he's a he's a Rockefeller, so they're trying to ask him about his money, and he's like, I don't have any money, and finally, you know, he, he's like, I, I don't. He's like, I'm not rich. I'm not. I don't have all this wealth that you guys think, and and people were worried about that. He finally admits to them, he says, like, look, the, the point is not to have, to own everything. The point is to own nothing, but control everything. <laughs> he literally said that right. in Congress. 2020 saw some interesting things early on, right? From a money standpoint. I know we don't want to go too far down the money, the money uh, uh, route or the, ra the rabbit hole of money. Well, but it, okay, but, but, but Bobby, this is super important because it's almost as if the coronavirus is cover for the, the inevitable collapse of the system they created in 1913. It's not almost. Okay, okay. That, that <laughs> system is collapsing. We've right. watched it, especially over the last 20 years. Right. We've watched the, 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 the bubble, the bubble economy, right? These bursting bubbles. The, over the and business over. cycle getting worse and worse. Right. More and more dangerous. 
the average guy is having less on the table because he makes less money relative to the totality of what's out there. Right. And I think one of the reasons that it is collapsing is it's become too big. It's become enormous. Well, and that's the thing. You you can only ride a, a fiat currency so far. A fiat currency, for those who don't know, is a currency that's created without anything backing it. It's created by decree. Fiat is decree in Latin. And so, so you can only ride that so far because ultimately, especially a debt-based currency, because w- and that's the big secret about American money, is every single Federal Reserve note is created via the issuance of debt. So you create a, a liability, a, a future problem. And so in order to pay for that future problem, you have to create more debt. And then that can only go on so long uh, before the curve becomes exponential and it sort of becomes comical uh, trying to pay this debt off. And that's, and that's sort of the question is, where are we at in that curve? Because all fiat currencies die and especially debt-issued currencies are going to die. And so this system has to come to its fruition at some point. And the question is, will the people that created it be destroyed by it or will they destroy it Will they make a controlled demolition in order to enact a new program that they control? Yes. And that's what's going on right now. Okay. I've, I, I like that phrase, controlled demolition. One reason I like it is because it is a hat tip to 9-11, 2001. Right. Controlled demolition. Three skyscrapers come down on 9-11. Three. Not on, two. After, yeah. after two airplanes ran into the buildings. And we, we could probably have an entire episode on 9-11. People have done really so much to, on but 9-11. But there's a lot but, out there. And it's getting, it's getting censored. So, you know, for our listeners, maybe there's some new folks out there. And we're, we may explain a little bit too much. We may explain not enough. But we're going to cover whatever ground, I guess, is interesting to us, right? Controlled. controlled. The operative. The op, there's, two, there's two parts to this word that you're, you're trying to get out. They're both operative. One is control and one is demolition. There, it's a perfect description, in my opinion, for 2020 because what we're what we're living through is the controlled demolition of, of basically, the world order, our way of life. Yeah. the The current world order, and we're not saying that the current world order is perfect and that it should be preserved. We're we're not saying that at all, but there are certain things that that are a part of the current world order that do need to be preserved, particularly the individual sovereignty, our, our ability, our freedom, our liberty to make our own decisions, especially, especially when it comes to medical procedures, right? Medical decisions, uh, medical privacy, all of those things are being eliminated while also the currency is struggling. Right. Okay. How many bailouts, quote, bailouts, stimulus packages have we had this year? Two or three already. Mm-hmm. And Congress is currently haggling over a, another one. Right. Right. The Democrats want a trillion dollars. The Demo- the Republicans say, no, that's too much. How about 900 billion? That sounds a lot lower. How about <laughs> yeah. 999 billion? <laughs> and of course, the, the amount of the, of the, the amount of money is irrelevant. They're they're just jockeying. It's theatrical. They're jockeying for power and influence. Power and influence, yeah. And that's what it really is all about for them. For you know, Congress, Congress in the United States, the congressmen, the senators, they're the useful idiots in all of this. They they play this out. Uh, it is probably worth noting that there was four or five 
who sold all their stocks in the but that was service just, industry, hotel, airline stocks. Right. Two days before the stock market but crashed. That, but that's just coincidental. Right. They just have really but, good... Really good asset but, managers. Right. Right. And, and when we, let's get back to individual... But those... Okay, go ahead. Those senators were all on the coronavirus uh, task Oh, that's strange. Force. That's strange. <laughs> Whatever they... Not the task force. Some, <laughs> some committee, right? Yeah. They were on the, uh, they were debriefed in advance. Right. Right. And so, just so, a, just a, a just strange a lucky, coincidence. Yeah. Lucky guess. But getting back to, you mentioned, you know, the, the problem is that we're going to lose individual sovereignty and, and let's, let's not beat around the bush here. Don't, don't think we think that our individual rights are actually very well protected right now. Like we, we've, we've seen our rights steadily eroded during the 20th century and the, and the beginning of the 21st century here. We've seen us, especially since 9-11. Mm-hmm. So once we hit the new millennium, the degradation of our natural rights to life, liberty and, and property, the, the righteous enjoyment of property, the pursuit of happiness have been steadily degraded by uh, the excuse of 9-11 and everything that's followed it. And if, 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 you, if you yourself question that, you say, no, that's not true. Of course, we're still a free country. Or if somebody says that to you, just ask these questions. Ask yourself one simple question. What do I have to ask the government for permission to do right, right. now? Right now, December 14th, 2020, technically, I have to ask the government if I can go to a restaurant. I have to ask the government in some states in the United States, California. If to, to leave your house. To leave your own home, you have to have government permission. And, and, and what's the pretext of this? A panic. So, so let's get back to the, to the controlled demolition of the world order and the economy. Uh, that's what was happening at the end of 2020 or at the end of 2019, right? We, there were rumblings going on. Uh, both Bobby and I have been watching the stock market, watching world events, trying to pay close attention to it. And I think we both had this, it's, it, it, it can't continue like this. It's going to collapse feeling, right? Right. Before the stock market crash, there was a lot of talk of how, how long can this go? Right. And that was what was dominating the financial news at the beginning of this year. So here we are. Here we are. Finally, after what, an hour, we are now talking about... Maybe it's been longer than that, but we're now into the year in review. We circa uh, Dateline 2020. <laughs> here we are, and right. And the and the issue was there's there's a strange thing going on in China, and is the economy going to uh, continue to to be just headed off into the sky? And what was the other issue that we've all now forgotten? Impeach, 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 impeach. Russia, 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 Russia. Impeach, impeach, impeach. Right. The Russia, the Russia hoax can't be called anything else at this point. Right. And I feel like we have to to disclaim a little bit that neither of us are are hardcore uh, Trump enthusiasts. I didn't. I can say honestly, I didn't vote for Donald Trump. We. We, we, Ever. We, we, we have our, neither did I. I don't have a dog in the race. We have our, our serious concerns about Trump, but we also are people, are two people that, that like to pursue truth and objectivity. At least we think so. Right. And, and I come from a conservative background. I, you know, I would assume right. you do too, right? Uh-huh. And, you know, I definitely slept a lot better at night knowing 
that Hillary Clinton was not the president. But my sisters were aghast that, oh, (laughs) we have a sex offender in the White House and blah, 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 blah. Not for the first time. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Was there another Clinton sex offender in the White House ever? Oh, oh, you forgot about that. That was convenient. So I've got this timeline. This is is, uh, at the uh, AJMC. It was written November 25th, 2020. Uh, it's a timeline of COVID-19 developments in 2020. Yeah, we're, we're putting together a website here, and we will go back and put links on our website to any of the materials we think are important for you in the podcast. The uh, website address, by the way, will be mindvirus.show. So it was j- according to this timeline, it was January 9th that the WHO, the WHO, announced and this is the wording of the website, announces mysterious coronavirus-related pneumonia in Wuhan, China. That was January 9th. A few days later, January 20th, CDC says three U.S. airports will begin screening for coronavirus. Now, not included on this timeline, excuse me, not included on this timeline are many of the political uh, and news stories that accompanied these announcements. And, and who's AJMC, by the way? Do you know much about these guys? The American Journal of Managed Care is what it stands for. Okay. So these guys are part of the apparatus. Right. And and admittedly, this was, this was I just did a search for coronavirus, oh, okay. for coronavirus timelines. timelines. I yeah. wanted some dates. Yeah. And um, we'll, uh, I, I think an interesting timeline to look at is the timeline in China. And we'll, we'll do an episode on coronavirus. How can we not do an episode on coronavirus? Or three. But uh, yeah, the, uh, the happenings in China were quite interesting too. And so maybe we don't need to get into too much detail on these dates, but you'll recall that in January, as this news started to, to circulate, that it was instantly politicized. Instantly, Nancy Pelosi was telling people to go to Chinatown in San Francisco, to have lunch in Chinatown. Because to say otherwise, to not to do otherwise... It was racist. ...was racist, right? Yeah, xenophobic. To, to, to claim that there was a virus out of China was racist. Right. Which, of course, is, is bonkers. That's crazy talk because it's, it's just the fact that the, China, the a lot virus... Of, a lot of viruses come out of China. The virus originated in China. That's just where it originated. But you'll also recall at this time there was a lot of controversy and there was a lot of... that, And that's when we started to see the censorship, Right. Zero Hedge, a uh, uh, news uh, cor- aggregator, aggregator on yeah. the internet. Zerohedge.com, one of the best, one of the best uh, news outlets. And we we should do a we should put on our website and uh, maybe do a rundown at some point of analysis of of news sites or places mm-hmm. where we get information because it's it's becoming quite a challenge right. to find at least some good information from which to triangulate. Right, we're not believing everything we're reading. Zero Hedge has a Twitter account. The author of that website a man of uh, someone who goes by Tyler Durden right right I think it's a team of people but they go by Tyler Durden right anyway they speculated on Twitter that the virus may have been uh, created in a lab part of something called uh, gain-of-function research which is not new it's not uncommon Just these biologists tinkering in the lab with viruses and it's been done in North Carolina it's been done for the last 20 years so he or they uh, speculated that maybe this was created in a lab and released either deliberately or an accident. And immediately, Twitter suspended his account. And that's the first 
incidents of coronavirus censorship that I can think of. And and let's point this out. The censorship didn't start in 2020. There were several high-profile personalities like Alex Jones of InfoWars that were deplatformed and essentially ostracized from accepted channels on the internet, uh, kicked off of YouTube, demonetized, all that. That's been going on for about two years. So right. this this isn't a new thing, but it was more the <clears throat> the people that were that were deleted prior to deleted from the public mind, right. erased from existence, down the memory hole. Winston, this is Winston's job in 1984. Changed right. the history, changed the news. He works for the Ministry of Truth. So the the people that had been deplatformed prior to this year were mostly kind of the pe- the people that were that the public at large should have accepted like because Alex Jones is really bombastic whatever you think about Alex Jones I like him I don't I'm not saying he's got that everything's right there but it, he seems to have good intentions and, he, and he's really bombastic and loud and obnoxious and stuff and he's got he's been very successful and so he has far reach and it's it's those types of people that have been deplatformed censored canceled etc prior to prior to 2020. And then you get Zero Hedge, who's a pretty, I mean, they're, they're, they're edgy, but they're not in that category. These, this is, this is financial, um, mostly financial related, but yet world current events, you know, I mean, that affects everything. So an 80, 80% of the content at zerohedge.com is authored and posted elsewhere. They simply repost it with permission of the author, and they link to the author. So it's, it's not even their own crazy uh, fringe opinions. There's some. Right. They're kind. They're they kind of like the. They're kind of kinda like the the new and better and improved Drudge Report after right. after Drudge decided to go total full on, uh, liberal leftist right. and and anti. It's it's not so much that he's anti-Trump. It's like. And it seems to kind of be anti-reality and very fear-based. I, I used to love Drudge Report. I think in the in the years running up to the 2016 election, he had a, a significant influence in America and, uh, and set the news cycle quite a bit. And he would link to, the reason he was important was because he would link to interesting stuff. Right. And it and it gave you a picture, a context for which you could interpret world events and, and national events. The reason that I think Zero Hedge was zeroed in on was because it was providing exactly what you said. It was providing alternative points of view to what was being 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 broadcast by the establishment media. Yeah. The, at this time, the establishment media was not entertaining the idea that this could have been man-made. It was from a bat soup or something, some wet market, right? And right. that was the, the narrative. It wasn't that they weren't entertaining it. The, it was that the agenda... Let's let's be right. clear. The agenda didn't include it that as part of the talking points. It wasn't on the list. Of yeah, talking that wasn't points. acceptable discourse. And so zero hedge was was censored. Yeah, their their account was blocked for a long time. Right? Yeah, it, and then Twitter lifted the ban when it became acceptable to talk about the possibility that maybe this was created in a lab and funded by Dr. Fauci. Well, that's is that acceptable discourse? I don't because that's the that's the problem is that the, the Wuhan lab has ties to Dr. Fauci and ties to the University of is it the University of North Carolina or was it Duke? I can't remember. North Carolina, I believe. Yeah, there there was this research gain of function research going on for the last twenty years, and these two places, North Carolina and Wuhan, exchanged intellectuals, scientists. You know, they they had a. a uh, an interchange of information and materials. There's the, there was the Canadian lab too. I forget where that was. 
uh, it seems like I've forgotten a lot of information from the start of this year. At the start of this year, I because because uh, to give you a little background on me, I, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a prototypical prepper, but I've always been uh, somebody who's interested in being prepared. A, bo- a boy scout, come from a scouting background, outdoors, you know, self sufficiency, things like that, and. To be perfectly honest, me and my family were ready for a pandemic. We had the N95 masks. We had some food storage. You know, I I was watching it carefully. And it, it's interesting. I pointed out to my daughter and her boyfriend in early or in, in the middle of February. I said, guys, this is different. You know, the way this is being treated is different. Go get, get about two weeks worth of food and just stash it in your apartment, get canned goods, you know, whatever. And when the store shelves emptied out, man, they became believers in my philosophy to see how dramatic that, that happening was. And like dad predicted it. And so, so we, we were, we're thinking about this. And so the first part of the, this 2020, I was looking closely like this might be the thing that really hurts people. And it became fairly clear, fairly quickly, and you know, towards the end of March, that this is not really that big of a deal. Right. And there's a different the the whole coronavirus issue is not the virus; it's co- control and censorship. That that became that became apparent pretty quickly this year, and it was very frustrating because you're seeing what you're seeing is these medical doctors being cut out from the discussion, and there's been no science. No, there's been no there has in the media there has been no press conference like there was during the Iraq WMD thing where they talked about yellow cake uranium and, and Colin Powell got up and said, this is why, and they gave as much intelligence as they, they, they thought they needed to convince the people to go to war. And we're still at war, by the way. Let's re- remember, we're still in Iraq, okay? Right. And they don't want us there. But, but th- there, was, there, was, there has not been that episode about the coronavirus. There, there's still no isolation of the virus, no gold standard test, like like we have for polio or for mm-hmm. uh, chicken pox or measles or whatever. This is this is a coronavirus, and they're not exactly sure what we're looking it at. It was probably well. It was in March, I think, that I reached out to you and said, "This is not normal." Right. Something is. Something, yeah, that's when we really started talking about this. Something is definitely wrong yeah. here, and none of. And I remember you came over and you said, "Is it the? Are you nervous about the virus?" And I said, "What? No, no, what? no, of course not." But we've, do, we've done uh, mountains of research. I mean, my last project was that I uh, went and took all the total death data from the CDC's website and graphed it so that we could see, is there even a blip in the death rate? And, you know, unless they're just completely fabricating these numbers like they did with the global warming data, we have to recognize that whistleblowers came forward and said they modified that data to make it look like a hockey stick was happening. The hockey and stick has been debunked. It's been debunked. And we're not going to, we're not the types that are just going to say, oh, it's been debunked and you should just trust us. That I've definitely looked into that if we need to, if it were, if it were like a big issue, we could do a story, we could link to the data, we could link to the stories about the, the whistleblowers, because it's usually a whistleblower that comes forward and says, hey, look, we falsified this. But the biggest proof on global warming is that the globe hasn't warmed, <laughs> okay? I mean, they've been talking about this for 40 years. And we we haven't seen appreciable warming. We've been in a warming trend, a, a gradual warming trend since the the days of the colonists. Well, so more importantly than than whether or not the world is warming up is that the the declarations of catastrophic 
doom that have been repeated over and over have never come to pass. We were told in the 70s, you know, Paul Ehrlich famously said we were all going to starve to death, that billions would die. Yeah, and what are they coming ice age? And what are they because of the ice age, right? right? And what are they saying now? Billions will die because of the coming global uh, sea, sea level rises. So, so anyway, just I, I just wanted to interject that I, I mean, I went so far as to because there was that Johns Hopkins study that was disappeared where they they had determined there wasn't a lot of excess death and it, it was immediately revoked from public existence. And because the study basically was saying, look, we're seeing the heart disease deaths have gone down, diabetes deaths have gone down while coronavirus goes up. And so I, I, I figured that because of all the perverse incentives, unless the data is and all the craziness going on, unless the data is totally manipulated, that the best thing we could do is look at all death, all causes, and you can get that from the CDC. And so I went and graphed it. And there is a blip in April of this year if you graph that data. But we can't attribute it all to to coronavirus. We have to attribute some of it to the the perverse response, the lockdowns, the right. alcohol abuse. Um, the lack of, um, there's been documentation that, during that time, especially that time period, people who normally would have gone to the hospital with heart problems <clears throat> stayed home. Right. And so right. and they another, locked it, They locked issue. a bunch of people in nursing homes in New Jersey right. and in um, New, York. New York, and they left them for dead. So, so I want to say, I think coronavirus is a thing. You know, in fact, I had what I believe was the virus. I did not go get tested, but other people around me did get tested. And we're, we're going to talk about the tests at some point, how inaccurate they are. So that doesn't really mean a thing. But the thing that's different about this uh, illness that I had about two months ago is that I did lose my sense of smell and taste, which, and I have chronic uh, sinus infections, uh, which I try to treat naturally. I have a lot of respiratory issues, hay fever, things like that. So I've dealt with this a lot in my life. And I can say that the, the cold that I had this year, two months ago, was different but it was still just a moderate cold. And the thing that was different about it was I lost my sense of smell and taste. And I still don't quite have the sense of smell back, which is really kind of freaky because w one thing we can talk about in a future episode is gene editing techniques and CRISPR, how they use right. RNA viruses to... That, that's a cutting edge thing, right? There's, there was a, a, a lady named Jennifer Dudna, a PhD, who pioneered this technology. Um, she won the Nobel Prize last year in... I don't know what their categories are, biochemistry or mm -hmm. uh, medicine or experimental stuff. Predictive programming. <laughs> and it wasn't that one, but it, <laughs> it was Frankensteinism or something. <laughs> Which is why people are, I think, deserve, you know, understandably nervous about this vaccine, which is the first coronavirus vaccine ever created. It's based on RNA, which is something I totally, I don't totally understand. She won it in chemistry sharing it with a colleague for her co-development of CRISPR-Cas9, a genome editing breakthrough that's revolutionized biomedicine. So, sorry, go ahead. Well, I'm just pointing out that this is all very new technology. Oh, yeah. Or I guess not technology is not the right word. But it's it, new to the public. It's, it's new to and the I public. And I think you could call it technology, biotech. And, and yet we're now being told that this, this vaccine, which is created in record time, Right. Is 90% effective. 95% <laughs> effective. 95% effective. 
And we probably should break down that claim because there's it's an interesting and somewhat dubious claim. That's but. a total lie. The reason the reason they're saying it's ninety percent effective is because they they took polls of the American people and the public said we're not going to take a, on average, we're not going to take a virus that's less than seventy percent effective. And the statistics on the flu virus are, and these come from the CDC, that on average uh, there's a range that flu vaccines fall in because they do this every year. They mm-hmm. claim, and and there's a lot of people that claim the vaccines aren't even effective, right? Or right. That you don't even that the, the, the vaccine science, immunology science is a little bit warped, and that would be a good another good future episode too. But the CDC numbers show that flu vaccines, by their standards, are generally between ten and sixty percent effective, never higher than sixty percent. Right. right, the flu shot that we're supposed to all get every year. Yeah, it's it's potentially only ten percent effective, right. and and at the best, sixty percent effective. Pfizer themselves have come out recently and said. We don't know if this vaccine will stop people from spreading this virus. And why is that? <laughs> well, I don't think they know anything. Are they trying about to cover the their butts? I is think it, I think so, and it, I think they just don't know enough about. First of all, I don't think they know enough about. Or the virus. Or is it all a big uh, Wizard of Oz uh, reality confidence show where it's all about narrative, narrative control, and we make the reality. That's a it's a real possibility that that and, and you know people do get sick and there are, there's a, there's a legitimate aspect to our healthcare system but right now it looks like it's it's being morphed into this tool of a of control and oppression for some reason and we're left to triangulate again the where we think this is really headed the reason we started out talking about the uh, this this conspiracy this oligarchy that attempt, is attempting to exert influence in the world is because the coronavirus and the way that it's been handled is a blatantly in-your-face opportunity to recognize things are not as they seem. And as I pointed out, I think it's about 121,000 deaths that are seasonal related to pneumonia. We don't, I don't care what the virus was. That happens mm-hmm. every year, and, it, and it's cyclical. You know, you get one year is high, one year is low. That, that sort of thing happens. We live, in a, right. we live in a world where people get sick seasonally, and we have right. old people that die. That happens. So they used that initially, the death count, to try and create a lot of fear. And then because the deaths taper off, they have to move to case count. And the case counts are wildly unreliable or, or right. they're, 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 they're meaningless. They're, they're meaningless. They're just, they're just, it doesn't mean anything. All it means is somebody had one of these PCR tests, which there's tons of false positives. positives. I've heard multiple anecdotal stories from actual firsthand accounts where the, the person scheduled a test and then decided not to go in and then got the positive test results. Right, got a, te- yeah. got a, a positive in the mail. Then you get down to hospitalizations. And right. the hospitalization numbers are meaningless because, first of all, they'll, they'll get one big hospital that's close to capacity, and then they make a big deal out of it. Hospitals are always close to capacity. And if, every, if you're testing everyone in the hospital every day or every five, three days or whatever for COVID, and you're finding lots of cases and calling that the reason that they're in there, COVID, right. it's, it's just... It's deception. At, uh, it's it deception is. writ large. It's it's like this is not appropriate behavior for rational people. Hospitals are businesses, and they work on the same principles that all other businesses do, and that is that they don't want to incur excess capacity, excess warehouse space, excess inventory. Right. In the business world, we call this just-in-time inventory. Exactly. And the hospitals work on the same principle every 
winter they they exceed capacity they have they they put people from ihc ihc or i'm excuse me from the icu or they, they, they overflow into other areas of, that, of the hospital. And so they're always running at 80% capacity. If they, were, if they had more capacity, there would be a massive waste of those nonprofits they're trying to make. Right. You know? So. Right. Okay. Anyway, so, so to tie this back into the very beginning, when we talked about the establishment of the banking system, the Re- Federal Reserve System, right. who is orchestrating this mass demoralization campaign and why is that a rhetorical question <laughs> no no <laughs> we're going to talk about it no, let's talk about it <clears throat> well we, the, one of the main one of the main front men here we have to bring up is bill gates mm-hmm. and so we can say we, we don't want to just say bill gates let's say anyone who is ultra wealthy that has a tax-exempt foundation is first and foremost someone we ought to look at does jeff bezos have a tax-exempt foundation yeah it's not as um in the news, it hasn't right. been as involved in all of the, uh, you know, the the news making or the the soundbite creating right. stuff that Bill Gates has been involved in. But he's he's been richer longer than Jeff Bezos and has had more time to get into these tax exempt found foundation modes of controlling society. And that's literally what the Gates Foundation says they want to they want to vaccinate up the world. And the decade of vaccines which yeah. started in 2010. Yeah. And they want to, they want to be involved in that and in medical and in setting policy. They talk about policy and influencing governments, right? If you go to their website, that's what they talk about. Another thing that's interesting is you have Warren Buffett, who's one of the ultra wealthy out there who about a decade ago teamed up with Bill Gates to try and, and create a movement where they get all these ultra wealthy people to put their money either into their tax exempt um, mechanisms or into their own taxes mechanisms. They made a big show of quote giving away giving their away their money. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and and Bill and Melinda Gates when early on when they set up this foundation, it was huge news. They're giving away all of their fortune. Right? No, they're not. Their wealth has increased since then. Yeah, and and the point is not a to lot. own everything; it's to control everything. Right. right? So interestingly, who controls the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation? Is it some bureaucrat? Who knows? It's probably, it could be Nathan Rothschild himself come back from the grave, but <laughs> it's, it's probably Bill and Melinda Gates, right? At least on some level, it's got to be them. Interestingly, the, uh, to tie that into some testing, PCR testing or Corona testing, Utah is part of a 11 or 12 state coalition called the Interstate Testing Exchange. Mm-hmm. Who created and funds that? The Rockefeller Foundation. Oh, I, and you'd think that these... These foundations from hundreds of years ago or a hundred years ago, that at some point they would run out of money. <laughs> so Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller's, the ghost of Rockefeller is still foundationing. Right. But why are <laughs> so they, why Ford. are they funding testing, and what comes with that funding? No reporter in Utah will ask about it because that would be uh, they they would have to put a tinfoil hat on before they ask the governor they, they'd about be run the, out of the their funding. they'd be run out of their this professional circles this so isn't fast some yeah some secret thing that i've stumbled across it's right there on the rockefeller foundation yeah. website the interstate interstate testing exchange is something that utah bragged about joining this was in yeah. august right before a 
a rise in cases. Did something uh, change with the tests? Right. And all these people that work for these institutions, they, they enjoy what they do. Not all of them, but I mean, they, they have jobs. They, they don't sit there and go, oh, I'm, I'm going to work for the cabal. Right. Like uh, one of the Skousens, you know, Cleon Skousen was famous for his uh, naked communist, naked capitalist books and teaching about constitutional studies. And one of the, one of the brothers wasn't buying it, right? Or one of the mm-hmm. uncles. And so he, he worked in New York. And so he walks down into the Rockefeller Plaza and tries to find somebody who knows what they're talking about and just asks them point blank, is this where it's all happening? Is, this, is there a secret cabal running out of this place? And the, they're like, no. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's the level of, of introspection from the mainstream. That, like, this is why we're in the awful situation we're in is because generally honest people will go ask honest questions and they'll get somebody who either doesn't know who's also an honest person right. or, or they'll get somebody that just says, lies to them and says, no, that's not what's going on. So Bill, Bill Gates just yesterday said this, we're not going back to normal in 2021, maybe in 2022. And it's like, what do you know that we don't know? Right. Well, he also referred to uh, in an earlier interview, he referred to this as pandemic one. And then he said, pandemic two will be much worse. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Wait a minute. <laughs> he also funded Event 201, which happened in October 2019. If you don't know about that, Google it, look it up. It's a tabletop, uh, tabletop. Ro- role-playing exercise where they basically—it was a rehearsal. Th- three months before, they got a bunch of world leaders together and rehearsed what they would do if if, if, if it happened in if there happened to be, <laughs> a, there happened to be a pandemic, pandemic like a coronavirus or something. It gets very detailed. And these same people are out making all these pronouncements about, you know, locking up your forcibly going into people's homes, taking taking people who test positive, forcing testing, right. forcing vaccinations. They're the ones that are the the think tanks, the policy originators Another, that, that, that the governments are relying on. If you're interested in Bill Gates, look up James Corbett, Corbett Report. He's done an exhaustive work on Gates. It's incredible. And you'll find that Bill Gates pretty much owns the entire global medical apparatus. All of these. The policy apparatus. The, the policy apparatus. So places like the WHO and the CDC. And the Imperial College in London. Right. Yeah. Um, another one, another person that's come to the forefront and kind of having his moment in the sun is Klaus Schwab. Right, the founder and the leader of the World Economic Forum, the WEF. You couldn't create you couldn't create a more stereotypical villain than this guy. He's got he the accent. With a German accent. He wears dark turtlenecks. He's yeah. bald. It's like Doctor Evil. Yeah. In, in real life. So what? What is the what? So the WEF is the WEF is pushing something called the Great Reset, and they're they're putting out videos, literally videos that say. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Okay. I didn't know that that was something they, that they actually said. I thought that was people talking about what no, they no, were it's, saying. It's, That's a it's, quote from the World Economic Forum. You'll it, own it, nothing, but you'll be happy. It's their, yeah, it's their video. They made a, they made a slick, oh my gosh, I'm, highly produced yeah, video. I'll I thought I was to up to speed. We'll link it, we'll link it on the website. <laughs> so here's a question. Okay, I'll own nothing and I'll be happy. Is that possible to own nothing and be happy? Sure, but there's a little problem with, with their statement. <laughs> the problem is that right now, everybody owns something. So how do we go from everybody owning something to everybody owning nothing? The in-between there is violence, because you, <laughs> you can only take something from somebody else through either outright violence, like 
beatings and shootings and war or political violence mm-hmm. through the legislation of and legalization of theft. Right. The, the, the state has a legal monopoly on violence. Right. So therefore, they operate with the threat of violence. If, right. you, if you don't do what they want, what the majority wants, or whatever happens to end up being policy, then the state will incrementally take your money first, then your freedom, and then your life. And that's the next step, I believe. I have no inside info. I'm speculating. Our, the, our money is going to be replaced sooner than later with a digital world currency. That's what's coming. Mm -hmm. Now, you might think, that's great. It'll be so easy to pay for stuff. There'll be no exchange rates. The problem is this, and this is the same problem I have with universal basic income, which is a talking point a lot here in American politics. The problem with the universal basic income... Which we had a little taste of that with the surplus. Right. And there are many problems, but for me, the fundamental philosophical problem is that whether or not you receive that monthly payment... It's dependent. It's dependent on your beliefs, your adherence, obedience, your, your, your conformity. If, if, if your income is tied to the government directly like that, and they find out that you voted for Donald Trump, <laughs> they, can, they can turn that off for a couple months. Yeah. You, you, you should not have voted for him. We're going to punish you. You're not getting your income until... Uh, until 60 days penance. Right. This was all pre-messaged in the movie Enemy of the State, Will Smith, Gene Hackman, right. ni- 1990s. Right. This is what happens to somebody who becomes anathema to the state. Now imagine, now imagine on a global scale, someone like Schwab or, or a committee of people like him making these decisions on not only your ability to earn a living, but your ability to travel, to move, to study, to speak. We're seeing that all to over reproduce. the... Right. We're seeing that now all over the world with um, stipulations and uh, uh, requirements in order to just just live a regular normal life, let alone be exceptional or do exceptional things. You see that in the universities right now. University professors are the ones who don't buy into the uh, the the. sort of the ra- uh, critical race theory and other things like that are keeping quiet because they'll lose their jobs if they speak out on it. Medical doctors like our Bakersfield doctors who came out in April, you might remember. Dr. Erickson. They came out in April and said, we don't quarantine the healthy, we quarantine the sick. We we've always we've only quarantined always the sick. That. He said, we don't wear masks in public. We only wear masks in acute situations, meaning where you have a body opened up. Right. Or, or, or somebody who's really, really sick that's spewing. Ill. Yeah, right. somebody who's spewing stuff. They would wear a mask. And they were widely, widely censored. Censored, yeah. They weren't discredited. They weren't refuted. They were just censored. And they were dismissed as pseudoscientists or doctors with an agenda. And, and that's, uh, you're coming around to where, where I think we, we originally were starting. And that is that 2020 is not the year of coronavirus. It's the year of censorship, control, and centralization. And there have been many things we didn't touch on yet um, that have demonstrated that, that things are different than, we might, than, than the mainstream might have thought or than even those of us who study this stuff might have thought or the, the, r- r- help us recognize this is a catalyst year. Right. And um, we can't look at the events of 2020 as if they're all separate. We need to recognize they all occurred in concert. And our main um, smoking gun is how the media portrayed all of these events. 
one of the big schizophrenic episodes was lockdown, stay inside, stay home, stay safe, unless you want to go out and protest Black Lives Matter. Right. And then please go out and do that. Or more recently, stay home, stay safe, stay alone, unless you're celebrating Joe Biden's election victory. Right. There was this, there was a, that exact same day. Okay. There so the election happened on a Tuesday, right? Yeah. And for a few days, we didn't we didn't know who won. There was media uncertainty, right? As the votes were manufactured or counted, right? Well, you well want to look and that's that. an, that's another issue is how they ha- the, how they've handled the baseless allegations of voter fraud. They'll, right. say, they'll say quote unquote baseless allegations right. when there are miles and miles of of, of videotape and affidavits of people that are say, <laughs> like there's literally security camera footage of them shooing everybody out in Georgia and then pulling new votes out from underneath the so a that, table. the Saturday after the election, the in a con, in a concerted effort and all at once, the media declared Joe Biden the winner. That Saturday morning, right after the media had warned us repeatedly that that the don't believe anyone but us about who the winner is, right. and we're going right. to wait to tell you who the winner right. is. Yeah, and the New York Times before the election said we get to declare the winner. Right, people pushed back. They deleted the tweet, but that's already out there. Yeah. So that Saturday. Joe Biden has declared the winner and there's celebrations in the in the streets, right? Mm-hmm. People sharing bottles of champagne, drinking it, sharing it with the stranger who drinks it, right? <laughs> in today's day and age, that's, you might as well have just shot him with a gun. I know. Or his grandma. Right. <laughs> that very same day, Clemson University played Notre Dame in football. Okay. Both teams were undefeated. It was a big time matchup. It was at Notre Dame. There were fans allowed in the stands, although... Not as many as normal. Notre Dame won the game. Clemson, I think, I think came into the game ranked number one in the country. Notre Dame beat them. And the fans that were there ran out on the field in a spontaneous celebration like fans have done forever, forever yeah. in every sport, in every level. And these fans ran out on the field. And these are all students, these fans, and they're celebrating because, of course, the university allowed fans into the stadium because they wanted to give their football team every advantage possible to win the game. When those fans celebrated and ran onto the field and were hugging and high-fiving and dancing, okay, this is the same day as the Biden rallies, okay, the media said that Notre Dame students were super spreading, super spreaders, and that they were, it would, it would lead to death and destruction. Of course, not anything about that on the Biden rallies. Later on, the, the president of Notre Dame wrote a letter to the students reprimanding the entire student body, and also telling them that before the break, because this was before Thanksgiving, before the break, you could not leave South Bend, Indiana, where Notre Dame is, without a negative test. So he locked down that So he, that he made them stay at campus right, and not go home to their families. Right. So there's incongruity there. There's incongruity about masks. Yeah. There's incongruity about the test. All the, of this has been, has a foundational underlying of misinformation and confusion the virus came from a lab no it didn't the virus is contagious no it isn't we have to lock down we have to lock down travel no we don't it's racist to do this no it's no not. it's not <laughs> it's then then you have the it's not just the bakersfield doctors either several doctors have been thousands of doctors have, have been silenced. there was the great barrington declaration right which was signed by many, many people. We don't know how many think, because immediately the left jumped on it and tried to make it look bad right. by by filling up their petition with there's, there's Dr. Fakerstein. Of, there's tens of thousands who have who have signed the online peti- petition. I think actually 
I think they're trying to go through and clear that, clean that up so they can have an accurate number. But anybody could sign, sign in, sign it as a member. Right. And for those that are uninformed, the Great Barrington Declaration was a bunch of epidemiologists who got together and said, "Hey, look, we're handling this wrong. We, we, we think to the policymakers, we're declaring that you should stop limiting young people and regular people who aren't at risk from." interacting socially and they need to go about their lives so we can develop herd immunity for this thing like naturally happens and then we should focus our efforts on protecting people in nursing homes according to their website which is gbdeclaration.org almost 700,000 concerned citizens have signed it it's huge medical and public health scientists are almost 13,000 medical practitioners are almost 40,000 yeah. So and they've had not, a couple of months is, to clean up their list. Right. Initially, the leftists tried to to take over and make it make them look bad, but they've had a couple of months to clean that up. So that's probably pretty right. accurate. That you got what forty thousand medical practitioners and thirteen thousand. What was that? Medical and public health scientists. Okay, so so not necessarily on the front lines, but people who do this for Have a living. Credentials yeah. of somehow. Yeah. The point is, this is not a small. This is not a small thing. And, and nobody's, if you're hearing about this for the first time, it really should shock you. This is a big, big deal. But the media will only talk about it, if, if at all, to try to discredit it. Now, if you read it, the things in there are utterly obvious. Yeah. Protect the vulnerable, live your life. It's the, basics, the basic foundation Yeah, it's of it, very rational. Which is what it's... the Bakersfield doctor said all along, back in April. Which, what the Bakersfield doctors said... And, and the Bakersfield doctors are interesting because they ran a testing facility and they, in a way, naively were saying, we now have the data. We made a mistake. Right. That was all they were saying. And then they got immediately shot down. And their premise for saying we made a mistake was that we were all educated in the schools about how this works, about virology, about immunology, about the mm-hmm. cold, about the spread of disease. And what we're doing this year is stupid. It doesn't make any sense. We're doing something that, that is irrational compared to the last 100 years of medical science. And that's the problem. We're literally in that 1984 moment where the, the slip has been handed to the medical profession. And now your enemy is not Eurasia anymore. It's East Asia. We've always masked the general public. We, yeah. We've all, yeah. It's like, this is how we've always handled it. Social we've distancing. It's a thing. Down. Yeah. It's we've always, always, we've always social distanced. I mean, right. that's what you have to be. You have to be willing to countenance that, um, that mentality to, to go along with this because it's that absurd. When you really get down into the, the data, when you really get down into what's happened, the way we're acting in 2020 is that absurd. And so therefore I posit, and I think Bobby, you're on, on board with me on this, that the, the happenings in 2020 are somehow orchestrated and being influenced right. by this, by this conspiracy, by this oligarchy, by this cabal or whatever, by this group of people that wants to exert more control the ones that own the media, the ones that are the ones that are crafting the narrative objectives for the media, they have some sort of an agenda, and this is essentially the start of World War III. It's a it's fourth generation psychological warfare, mm-hmm. and we what we've seen with the with the coronavirus and the way it's been handled is that it has rendered the population inert, isolated suspicious of each other, wondering right. which way is up, unable to mount any sort of a, unable to recognize the true enemy and mount any sort of an effective resistance to it. Exactly. And, and, and just really quickly to finish the thought, the point is that 
all these other things happened in concert and support that. The cancel culture, it attacks the people who have the best ability to fight back or, or the most likely likely right. to fight back, the white, the white male population, you know, that's the, the biggest segment of American demographic that owns and exerts, influ- owns mm-hmm. money, owns property, and in, in, exerts influence in, in, the, in the public. You've, so you've got the cancel culture going on. You've got the Black Lives Matter rallies that are attacking our traditional mechanisms of law enforcement, right. the, these, these, uh, these things that keep society stable. And then you had the cancellation of all the tribal outlets, the big churches, the NFL uh, concerts, right? Uh, Major League Baseball, every, everything that people used to do to go out and, and uh, release their um, excess pent-up energy got taken away. And then they were pent up. Right. And then they, then they got a whole segment of the population to go out and burn things, you know. So it's more than just that. There have been so many things that have happened this year, but if you look at them in concert and recognize that they were pre-planned or, or orchestrated in a way, then you can see that the, the goal is not public health here. The goal is something else. Oh, and there's the destruction of the economy. That, right. that, that is so much based on public perception. And, we, and again, we know the media is lying, so we know the financial media has some sort of an objective, right? Right. And so when, when the economy crashes, it's because they tell it to crash in a way. It's not always perfectly that way, but in general, though, that's right. why things happen in mass in America. It's because somebody pushes it over the edge. They set it up. They, they, they've, they set up the economy. They propped it up. They continued to fund. The Fed intervened, started intervening again in a different way in 2015, 2016. They started to raise interest rates. Which, when they took away the stimulus, Jerome Powell's on record having said in uh, in the 2008 crisis that if the Fed stops, that's when it's going to crash. And he was the one that presided over the stoppage of that, right? The, of the of the of the low interest rate policies, and then they raised him and the, just enough to bring it to the brink. And then they started acting like they were concerned. And then, right when um, the coronavirus hits, that's when all of these it's just like a controlled demolition. It's A controlled demolition is an incredibly good analogy because what you do is you rig a building, all the support pillars of a building, mm-hmm. and in this case, the building is the United States of America. You rig all the supports. I would say even it's Western. Or the world, Western, Western society. Yeah, Western culture. That's, that's a good point. So you rig the pillars, the foundational pillars with explosives, and then you don't just pull them one at a time. You step back to a safe distance and you detonate them in sequence, in quick sequence, and then uh, you've all seen this uh, video of a, a Las Vegas casino or something coming down. How about World Trade Center Building 7? That's a right. good one to look or, at. Or 1 and 2. Or 1 and 2. They just are a little taller. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it crimps in the middle, and then it just falls symmetrically into its own footprint at free fall speeds, and bam. So you're seeing that. Uh, this, this is, in a, set, in a way, a global 9-11. Mm-hmm. This is, that's what we're witnessing right now. And that's what, why we want to talk about the year in review, because these events cannot be looked at in an isolated way. They're right. not independent. And it's very clear when you start to, to lift up the, the, the thin veneer or the lift up the rock, look underneath the rock, look below the surface. You, that's what we've been talking about. You start to see that none of this makes any sense unless you apply the unifying theory of history, which is conspiracy. The secret cabal has unmasked themselves. I think they've, more than ever, they've said, here we are. 
and you can't do anything about it. And we're going to prove it by making you wear the masks. We've been hiding ourselves for a century. (laughs) Now it's your turn to hide your face. It's also interesting that the pandemic is really non-existent in developing nations. Right. And you did in Bobby did air quotes when he when he said <laughs> right. pandemic. Let's make that right. clear. <laughs> but, and why is that? Well, those nations are generally already under the control of the UN, the WEF, the WHO, the cabal the, 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 already owns the those. political apparatus that right. that keeps right. them where they want them as colonies in a colonial as poor, state. Unhealthy. They don't they don't have uh, as much media they 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 right. they're they're well controlled but if this were a dangerous virus then people in in suburban america would be dying just like people in sub-saharan africa or china or europe and, and those countries would those those uh, smaller uh, third world countries would be dying in mass like we'd be, we'd be hearing we'd be hearing massive numbers about they're not yeah they're not they're not dying from coronavirus at all. There is an uptick in starvation and other yeah. detrimental uh, effects of these lockdowns right. and supply chain disruptions. See, the difference between, uh, say, uh, an African country, a third world country over there and America is they don't have as developed of an apparatus for perverse incentives to flow down through the population. Right. They have perverse incentives at high levels and in, in small groups. But we have created states of emergency like if you if you understand why the governor would want to declare a state of emergency it's because we get money free money for saying that free fake money free fake money free free debt debt created money and the the money is dependent upon the state of emergency and the state of emergency is dependent on the excuse and the excuse is quote unquote air quotes pandemic right and now the hospitals can declare their own emergencies and get their own free fake money through the cares act that's not money they ever have to pay back. It's not money that has to go against their their balance sheets or no. anything. It's just, here's some money. It just has to be just related to COVID. Relate everything to COVID. So if you can find COVID, you get more money. And that's the whole, th- that's why we're all beholden to the, the whole thing now. It's because we can find a lot of money if we can, if we can do the dog and pony show, the dance. If we can dance for the, the piper, we get the money. I would guess that the audience... <laughs> Assuming that we if the have audience one, is still listening, <laughs> I would guess that a lot of them understand this. Yeah. So, what do we do next? What do we do as individuals or small groups of people? What can we do to stop this from happening? If anything, what can we do to insulate ourselves from the effects? Right. What, what do we do next? Well, and that's why we're calling this the Mind Virus Podcast. Um, we're hoping that the truth will spread like a virus. And that people will begin to act upon the truth that they know. Mm -hmm. And so I think we could do a whole podcast on this, but I would just say, and I'll let you get the last word and then maybe it'd be a good time to finalize this first (laughs) episode. But uh, my advice, and it's very simple advice, is this to people. If If you get it, if you realize the media is lying, that's, that's the key point. That's our, that's our virus uh, our, our, our catalyzing virus, the thing that needs to spread right now mm-hmm. amongst free-thinking people in America right. is that they have an agenda. The, the mainstream media has an agenda. And if they're willing to lie about the voter fraud, then absolutely they're willing to lie about the pandemic. Because what, what I see in my family and my relationships is you have some older folks that are scared about it. It's like, hey, well, I don't, 
I don't want to get the virus because there's all this fear that's been created mm-hmm. and they and they haven't done the research to satisfy their own uh understanding so they won't be scared of it. So therefore they cower in fear over here of the virus. Where do they get their information about the virus? They get it from the media. But they th- they all they're willing to admit, they're willing to say, "Hey, the the media lied about the the Donald Trump thing." And they've been really bad with Donald Trump. So my, my, my question, you can, pose this, you can pose this question to anybody. If you're out there, you need to speak up and you need to say to your, your acquaintances, your friends, your relatives, when you get in these conversations, if they lie to us about that XYZ, BLM riots or whatever it is they're lying, because you know they're lying. They all, we all right. know the media is lying and has agenda on something. Why wouldn't they be lying to us about the pandemic? Why the air quotes pandemic? Why wouldn't we be lying? Why wouldn't they be lying about they were lying about Russia collusion? Uh, why wouldn't they be lying about voter fraud? They lied about world uh, WMD in Iraq. That's documented. Right. You know, we, we, it was supposed to be a quick war. They lied about the housing crisis because you get too big to fail turns into too big to jail and didn't George Bush famously say we've got to destroy the free economy to, to save it or something like that? Yeah, basically. Yeah. So, so that's my action point. If you're listening, when you talk to people, point it out. Make sure that, you, that when people hear the word news media, KSL, KUTV, New York Post, New, or New York Times, whoever it is, they lie. Right. They, and it's not just fake news. No, they lie and they have an agenda. And it's not... Donald Donald Trump and the Republicans, they continued the the coronavirus charade. I we we could argue over whether Trump is a willing participant or not, and and the Republicans seem more willing to support or will, the, the the Republicans have seemed at least a little bit more willing to make pretense to supporting freedom and not wanting to go along with all the coronavirus stuff. But but other than Ron Paul. These guys, uh, Rand Paul, these guys are willing to go along with the Federal Reserve for 100 years. So they lie. They lie, they lie, they lie. And they, you shouldn't believe them about this because you don't believe them about this other stuff. So point that out to people. And, you know, we'll talk about other solutions, at least from my perspective, I'm sure in the future. But that's my thing. Tell people that the media lies. Make it a point that, they, that you drive home, that they, they are not to be trusted about anything. Right. Why would you believe them if you disbelieve them over here? That's my, that's my point. How, what do you think? What, what, what should people do? Well, in the immediate future, it's a small but I think powerful and important thing. Take off your mask. Take it off. Stop wearing it. Don't wear it into the grocery store. Now, we talked earlier. If someone comes up to you, if some teenage employee comes up to you and asks you to put it on, put it on, go down the aisle, take it off again. I decided a while ago that I was going to force the issue. I'm not going to wear a mask into these stores. If they want me to wear one, they can ask me. No one has asked me. No one, no one has approached And it's very me. uncomfortable. Like I walked into a, a burger joint the other day and um, there was like, I had to walk past six mask signs on the f- two doors mm-hmm. and then one that said, you will be refused service if right. you don't have a mask. And I was prepared to say I have a medical condition. That's an easy way out. Right. But you, you need to be prepared to go beyond that or to walk away if you're the type that wants to avoid the contention. But uh, believe me and... and what you're saying creates a lot of anxiety. We get that right. to the listeners. We, we get that it creates anxiety, but you need to push back. One easy way to do that is to walk around with a drink in your hand. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was at Walmart the other day, and I was the, there was a, one other person I saw without a mask. He had a drink in his hand. <clears throat> 
but you do you'll get looks you'll get some crusty eyes you don't see their face you just see their eyes and you'll get some squints and some you know but reclaim your own individuality okay wearing a mask is an admission that the state has authority over you it's an admission that we are all dangerous to one another it's an admission that healthy people should not gather together and it's an admission that it's an admission that there is a deadly virus that can be stopped with a piece of cloth over your face which is not false. true it's just false 100 years of mask science <laughs> and the danish study whatever right. i mean we we've known what masks do for hundreds of years we've either, we've and i say that collectively as an entire society we've all we've either always been wrong on on infectious disease or we're wrong now because we've never we've never socially isolated we've never locked down entire economies we've never masked the entire world you're right and yet we're doing those now and, and we're also still seeing the spread of the virus <laughs> so take off your mask Find a way that you're comfortable doing that. And it's amazing we're even having to disclaim it or to couch it in terms of being comfortable. Take the thing off. You all know, you all know, I think, that it's a farce. Those who don't know it's a farce and who are totally bought in, we can't help them anyway. Right, right. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of people like that. There's a lot of people who will never take off their mask. They will wear it forever because they are, for now, they are forever afraid of the seasonal viruses, the cold, the flu, whatever else. And, and they, they will never, they'll never recover from this. And that was, I think, part of the point. There's a large portion of our population who will never recover psychologically from what's happened to them this year. There's also a large portion that will never recover econ uh, economically. economically. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but 99.8% are recovering physically from the yeah. virus. Yeah. It, it, let, let's say this in closing. Um, it's going to get worse as a society because we don't control the bully pulpit, the, the bullhorn, the modes of mass media and propaganda. That is a ship that has sailed. Google, Twitter, all these guys have, have a lot of momentum and a lot of ability to create chaos because of it. Go ahead. These people that are doing this, also, they like to tell us what they're doing. And they're telling us that it's going to get worse. Yeah, it, it, but it, it is going to get worse, but it doesn't have to be worse for you. I mean, right. you're, you're going to have decisions to make. We need to stand up and create in our own personal lives rational, positive well-being and, and um, uh, security, uh, you know, of thought, First, right. and you need to you need to be talking to people of like finding people of like mind and talking to people with like mind and supporting each other. Good Christian, good moral behavior, rational behavior, mm -hmm. and uh, so when when Bobby's saying wear a mask, I'm I'm agree or don't wear a mask. Excuse me, when he's saying take the mask off, I'm agreeing. But I think there's a big component of trying to avoid contention. Be prepared sure. to walk out. You know, you, right. you don't need to don't, be the guy. Don't make a scene. You don't need to be the guy. The guy that uh, causes a problem. Don't make a scene because then that'll be used to against you and against like, people against, like you. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of these stores also they don't want to enforce this because they know that there's potential for conflict, and they also don't want to lose a customer. Yeah. Because if, if I was kicked out of a grocery store for not having a mask, 
I might not go back to the grocery store. Maybe I will. We don't have a lot of options right here. It's been a big year. Yeah, it's been a really, really significant <laughs> year. And I think that the cabal, the globalist oligarchy has overplayed its hand. I think that mm -hmm. it will create chaos and it will cre create dramatic changes in the fabric of our society, but I do not think they will win and turn us into an Orwellian state. It, it will appear like that in certain areas. I mean, if you were in sectors of Australia, man, they got you. Right. But uh, New Zealand. But they turned in their guns, guys. Don't don't turn don't your gun turn in. your guns in. Go go buy <laughs> one for, while you still can. Not for food. Not for uh, not for any reason. You know that's the one check America holds, and and I think they they recognize that, and that's why there's the potential for war on American soil. For why there's a a uh, it appears that part of the agenda is to create a quote unquote civil war, and in this case, right. where where we now most the majority believes that America is one state. Mm -hmm. I guess that would be appropriate to call it a civil war, but uh, it appears that that is part of the potential of the agenda. And the reason for that would be so that there could be a more strong authoritarian response against right. it to take away from the people the ability to ever rise up by force of arms again. There's certain quotes. I'm, I'm quoting again with my air quotes. There's certain conservative voices out there calling for... Trump to declare martial law and yeah, to, to fix the election, to fix thing. the election with the military. That has to be rejected. Yeah, that is a terrible idea. And it is something that I think I think what you saw in Portland and Seattle this summer was a, an attempt to bait Trump into yeah, an invitation into deploying the National Guard in an aggressive way. He didn't take the bait. The bait. And it was, yeah, for whatever reason, that was pretty astute because those cities can just burn, you know? It's like, well, if you're going to do that, then you deserve it. Right. If you had he had he taken the bait, I think this year could have taken a very dark turn. Yeah, it and, could have been dramatically violent. Created a lot a lot more violence. So don't don't take the bait. Yeah. Don't do it. Well, I guess that's a wrap. I guess that's a wrap in closing. Thanks for listening. And uh, thanks, Bobby, for the time. Yeah. And go see our website. It is mindvirus.show. Okay. We'll, we'll have some references there. Uh, hopefully a transcript soon. Yeah, post other interesting By things. By the time you see this or hear this, share this uh, if you thought it was worthwhile. You know the drill, right? Like, comment, subscribe, subscribe. all of those things. <laughs> and uh, we'd love to hear some feedback. I assume right now the website's not even set up, but I'm assuming it's going to have some sort of mechanism for getting in touch with us. Yeah. Comments. We'll probably do comments on it. We'll probably do a, a page per podcast, put the transcript up and let you guys comment at the bottom. That's what I'm imagining. Of course, this is a work in progress. Right. And, you know, I don't, I don't know that, uh, I, I wouldn't say that, that we're anything new or special, but we're certainly, I think this uh, philosophy that we've been discussing, the things we want to talk about are very important, and mm -hmm. hopefully we can help spread this, these ideals of liberty, these ideals of truth, and, right. and positive thinking, independent thinking, and, and keep that alive in an, in an environment where those voices are being steadily attacked and eliminated. And eliminated, yeah. So we're, we're, but it is kind of a whack-a-mole thing, you know, that just the, the, the tighter you 
squeeze your grip, the more systems will <laughs> slip through your fingers. Who's that? Talking to Darth Vader. Right. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you guys. And uh, we will see you next time. Signing off. <laughs> <laughs>